Good afternoon. Uh, we're going to have our first Bible reading. It's Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, and you can find that on page 49 of the Bibles. And before we read, I'm going to pray for us. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us, and we pray now that you would help us to hear you. Father, would you give us hearts that are ready to respond to your word? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt." But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Hi everyone, my name is Amy and the second reading is John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18 and that can be found on page 911 of the Church Bibles. That's John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Amy. Let me pray for us. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Father, as we sit humbly under your word this afternoon, I, I pray that you would uh, give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Uh, Father, we want to know more of what you are like. So speak, Lord, because we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been a great little series. We have engaged our local community. Uh, we've had hundreds of questions, literally hundreds of questions, and we just picked our top four. Uh, we preached on week one on uh, why is there so much abuse and power corruption in the church. Uh, we preached on week two uh, on why don't Christians keep their opinions to themselves, a whole religious freedom debate. Uh, last week I preached on uh, if God made me, why do I hate myself? That was a confronting question. Uh, tonight's question is very different. It's much broader. Uh, dear God, who are you? Dear God, who are you? We had lots and lots and lots of questions about who God could be. I'll just read them to you. God, are you even real? God, why did you create diseases? Dear God, why do we feel the need to invent you in all these different forms? God, can you even read these questions? How do I get my head around the fact that God has no beginning? He's always existed. God, are you even there? I don't feel like you're near me right now. God, what's your favorite color? How do I reconnect with the God that I once knew? And this one, dear God, who are you? It's fascinating. These are, these are written by our community, written by people who are not in church, but God is on their radar, and they've got questions. 
I'd love to know the tone that this question was asked. Now, was it asked by an angry person? No, God, who are you? What do you think you're doing, God? And maybe it's written by somebody who is deeply disappointed by God and hurt by the church and angry. It could be that. I'm going to answer as though it's written by somebody who is intrigued, maybe confused. Some with all these ideas of what, what God might be like or could be like or they hope God will be like. God, I hope you're loving. I really hope that. God, I hope that you might be powerful because I need a bit of that in my life. God, I hope you're there for me. So there's a danger in our society, a danger in our church perhaps, that we can sit here and create our own idea of what we would like God to be like. I'd like my God to be like this. I'd like my God to do this. I'd like my God to think this. I, I'd like to see my God as this. And the problem when we sit here and, and create our own gods, the problem with that is that when God doesn't act in a way that we expect our imaginary God to act, we get disappointed by him, which is crazy. As a pastor, lots of people tell me what they think God is like, and as they talk to me, I'm thinking, that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God that I know and love. So how do we know what God is like? The Dale family are enjoying a crazy TV show at the moment. You might have watched it. It's called uh, The Masked Singer. Anyone seen that? It's this stupid, crazy show on Channel 10 where so-called celebrities get dressed up in these full costumes from head to foot, the octopus and, and the wolf and the parrot, and they come on stage and they sing, and you've got to try and guess who is behind the mask. And they give you these, these kind of cryptic clues so you can have a good stab in the dark at who it might be. Uh, so Brett Lee was the parrot, and Greta Colleen was the octopus, and I, my money's on Nikki Webster being the alien, and I think Rob Mills is the wolf. Uh, the point is, I, I have no idea who is behind that mask. I have no idea who they are unless they choose to unmask themselves and show me who they really are. It's the same, if you're here today, I don't know you. I could look at you, I could spend five minutes with you, I just look at you. And I, I think I could have a stab at who you might be or where you might live just by you know, the clothes that you wear or the car that you drive or the things that you talk about. If I asked you a few questions, then I might get to know you a bit better, but the only way I can really, really know you is if you sit down with me and you tell me your whole life story. That's the only way you can really know somebody when they tell you what they are like. Same with God. God talks to us. There's no guessing, there's no speculation, it's called revelation. God has revealed himself. He doesn't give us cryptic clues. He just unmasks himself. There's heaps about God that we don't know. I'm longing for that day when I see God face to face and I can just know him fully. Now I see in part, then I'll see in full. But here's the truth that God wants us to know him. And the more that we know him, the more we will trust him. The more that we know him, the more we will love him. The more that we know him, the more we will cherish him. And the more that we know him, the more meaning and purpose that you will have in your life. Look at this verse from Psalm 9. It's on the screen. 
those who know your name, Lord, trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. It's a great verse. It reminds us that when we know who God is, when we know his name, then we'll trust him, we'll depend on him. And we know he never forsakes those who seek him. So what I want to do this afternoon is look at the names of God. How does God define himself? How does God reveal himself? What names did he give himself? Because names in the Bible are very significant, aren't they? Names have meanings. Like Barnabas means son of encouragement. Hannah means favor. We, we chose our boy's name because of their meaning. So we've got four boys. Samuel means God hears. Uh, Nathaniel means gift of God. Elijah means the Lord is God. And Micah means who is the Lord. And God names himself. God doesn't choose his names at random. He doesn't choose his names because he, he likes the nicknames. God names himself because his names are packed with who he is and what he will do. And so the more you know the names of God, the more you will know God and the more you will trust him. So we ask, dear God, who are you? And God answers... Well, I am Yahweh. That is, that is the, the, the most common name he's used for God. It appears 6,828 times in the Old Testament alone. I am Yahweh, he says. It's a, a four-letter word, Y-H-W-H. And depending on which vowels you put in it, it can either mean Yahweh or Jehovah. In our Bibles, it's just capital letters, L-O-R-D, Lord. It's the name that God revealed himself to, to Moses as in the burning bush. God had just commanded Moses to go to Egypt to bring his people out of captivity. And look what Moses says, Exodus 3, verse 13. It's on the screen. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and, and say to them, oh, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, well, what is his name? What is God's name? What shall I, what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's his name. I am who I am. That is what you to tell the Israelites. I am. Yahweh has sent me. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. That is the name of God. He is Yahweh. He is the I am who I am. And that little phrase tells us a lot of things about God. A few on the screen, it means that God exists. He is. It was Francis Schaeffer who says, God is there. God is there. It might seem so obvious. I am who I am. I am, he says. I exist. I'm real. It might seem basic, but you need to know that simple truth. See, most people in our world live as though God doesn't exist. Our 70% of Australians claim to believe in a God. But most of them live their lives as though he's not on their radar. Can you imagine if you went to, got an invitation today to go and see the Queen. And she invited you personally, dear Ian, please come to afternoon tea with me. I want to talk to you. And Ian turns up at Buckingham Palace and the queen is there on the lounge waiting for him. And Ian walks in and he enjoys the sandwiches, enjoys the, the cake, enjoys the tea. But he doesn't bother to go and sit next to her and hear what 
she has to say to him. You say, Ian, you're, you're crazy. She wants to, to, to talk to you. And yet most of our world do that. They, they claim to believe in a God and yet they eat his food and breathe his air but don't bother to get to know him. God exists and he's always existed. He is eternal. I am who I am, he says. Now, push back in time, if you can imagine this, back, back before World War I and back before the settlement and back before the Reformation and back before Jesus and back to creation and back before there was any earth or any solar system, any galaxies, any universe. Push back in your mind to that, that point, the point where only God was there. And if you said to God, now God, where did you come from? How did you end up being the way that you are, God? Maybe if you ask me that question, Paul, where did you come from? I would say, oh, I came from Coventry in England and my mum was Julia, my dad was William and I was born into this family, I went to this school and my, my nature and my nurture define who I am. But when we ask God, God, who are you? Where did you come from? God just says, I am. I am who I am. I love this quote. God says, nobody gave me a set of genes Nobody and no power brought me into existence or shaped my personality. I had no beginning. There's no reality outside of myself that didn't come from me. There's no force or influence upon my character and power except what comes from me and is controlled by me because I am utterly absolute and behind me there is no reality. It is Psalm 90 verse 2, Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That is I am. He exists. He's always existed. He, he self-exists. I am who I am. I need nothing, he says. See, God is not like you or me. I need food. I need water. I need shelter. I need doctors. I need teachers. And God needs nothing. Life, strength, protection, health, knowledge. He has it all completely in himself. And he doesn't change. The word there is he's immutable. In Malachi 3 verse 6, I, Yahweh, do not change. See, see God is not like us. I change all the time. I, I change my mind. I change my plans. Circumstances change. But God doesn't change. His nature is consistent. His character is consistent. His purposes are consistent. He never has to resort to plan B or plan C. He has no contingency plans, no fallback options. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And for me, that's a huge comfort, you know, to know that God is consistent. He does not change. What God says will happen will happen. What God says he will do, he will do. And what God says he likes, he will always like. That is Yahweh, the eternal, self-existing, immutable God. There's a deeper meaning to that word Yahweh, though. There's an extraordinary bit in the Bible where God has revealed his glory and God's people have heard his voice and experienced his kindness. And what do they do? They're down the mountain and they're worshipping a golden calf. And God is so gracious, he's so willing to meet Moses again up the mountain, he's willing to forgive his people and he reveals himself. He says this in Exodus 34, then the Lord came down, then Yahweh came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. 
And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abandoning love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and, and sin. Isn't that beautiful? God reveals who he is, what his character is like. In these five phrases, he's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abandoning love and faithfulness, maintaining love and forgiving our sins. And I think these five phrases are supposed to be taken in pairs. The first goes with the last, the second with the fourth, and the important one's in the middle there, the third one. Who is God? He is compassionate and gracious and forgives our wickedness and our rebellion, our sins. That's what God is like. He, he knows your sins. He sees your sins. He feels them all, but he chooses to pour out his grace and pour out his forgiveness. There's no sin that is not covered by his grace and his forgiveness. Those three words, wickedness, rebellion, and sin, it covers all, possi- all, all possibilities. Do you remember um, the prophet Jonah? Uh, when God told him to go to Nineveh to preach forgiveness to those wicked people. And when God does forgive those wicked people, remember the, the temper tantrum that Jonah has? He says, God, I, I knew that you were so forgiving. I knew that you were gracious. I knew that you were compassionate. How dare you, God? As though God's compassion and grace and forgiveness is a bad thing. It's the most beautiful thing, like a a father who welcomes back a wayward son and does not hold things against us. That's our God. That is Yahweh. Gracious, compassionate, and forgiving. The second and the fourth phrase, he's slow to anger and maintaining love to thousands. He holds back his right anger. He's patient. He holds back that right anger by... The reins of love. He keeps on loving people who don't deserve to be loved. It's a beautiful word, slow, isn't it? He's so slow, so patient with us. He just keeps on loving people who keep on doing stupid things. And the reason is there in the middle. He's abandoning love and faithfulness. His love is limitless. His faithfulness is never-ending. Great is thy faithfulness, O God our Father. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Or a more modern song, your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Now, that word abounding means that it, it's inexhaustible, like an inexhaustible spring of water that just keeps coming up and up and up. God's love keeps coming up and up and up and God's faithfulness, it never changes. God's love and God's faithfulness are limitless and infinite. So God, who are you? He says, well, I am. I am who I am. I exist. I don't need anything, but I still choose to love people. I still choose to never give up on people. That's the kind of God that I am. But maybe you're here this afternoon and you're here and you're in pain. Maybe you're here and you are suffering and maybe life is really tough. 
There's another name for God which is so beautiful and so comforting. Who are you, God? God says, I am Yahweh and I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. I am the all-powerful, all-strong, omnipotent God. And nothing is impossible for me. See, God's people were doing it tough. God's people were stuck in slavery. And God's people were making bricks. And Moses had been commanded by God to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Exodus 6, the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, as El Shaddai, as the Almighty One. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. This name of God, it is so comforting because God has the power to do anything, anything he wants to do. We see his power at creation, don't we? With the word, he just creates everything. We see his power every morning at the moment, about 4.45, as, as the sun rises or the sun sets. We see his power as he keeps our world spinning at the right angle, at the right speed. We see his power as he, he brings events to pass. Now, God never needs to recharge his batteries. He never needs a backup system. He can do anything and everything because he is the all-powerful one. And for me, that's a comfort, you know. It's a massive comfort. Now, I am not in control, but he's in control. I'm not all-powerful, but he is. Have you heard of um, Elizabeth Elliot? She's the widow of Jim Elliot, who's the missionary who was killed as he sought to proclaim the gospel to the Orca tribes in the 1950s. On his death, Elizabeth wrote a biography of his life. And the title of her book was In the Shadow of the Almighty. In the Shadow of the Almighty. In the Shadow of El Shaddai. And it's based on the psalm, Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty, of the All-Powerful One. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, He is my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the, from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. So see, when you know that God is the all-powerful one, you, you can say he's your refuge, he's your fortress, he's your strength. He's the one who holds on to you. He's the one who covers you. He's the one who protects you. It's this beautiful picture of, of someone who is so strong and so mighty and so powerful and yet cares. That's who God has revealed himself to be. To him who's able to do more than we ask or imagine. To him who's able, who is powerful, who is mighty to do beyond what we can even, even comprehend. To him be the glory. So dear God, who are you? 
God says, I am Yahweh. I am El Shaddai. Another name is, I am holy. Isaiah 67, verse 15, for this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is, is holy. You know, think of God like that. His name is holy. It refers to his otherness, his transcendence, his separateness, his perfection, his purity. Remember in Isaiah when God is on his throne and the seraph hide their faces and they exclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. Not, not just holy, not just holier, but holier than holy is our God. Uh, Jerry Bridges says this, the, the holiness of God only secondarily refers to his moral purity. It primarily points to his infinite otherness. To say that God is holy is to say that he is transcendent, transcendentally separate. Holiness is not one attribute among many. It's not like grace or power or knowledge or wrath. Everything about God is holy. His power is a holy power. His mercy is a holy mercy. His wisdom is a holy wisdom. His love is a holy love. It's his holiness more than any other attribute that makes him worthy of all our praise. See, when you see that God is so other and so majestic and so transcendent, you're supposed to have this wow moment. It is a bit like when you're standing at the Grand Canyon or standing at Niagara Falls and you're going, wow, this just blows my mind. So I do think we have a very, very small view of God. He is so beautifully holy and unstained by sin and totally unapproachable. So who is God? He is Yahweh. He is the Almighty One. He is holy. He is jealous. You ever thought about that for your God? Exodus 34, verse 14. Do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous. That's another name of the Lord. He is jealous. It's unusual, isn't it? Well, clearly, God's jealousy is not like my jealousy. My jealousy is often driven by envy or selfishness or frustration. But God's jealousy is his zeal for his own glory, his zeal for his own honor, his zeal for his own name. It's his concern that, that no one or no thing should replace him as God. And to be jealous means to color red. And God colors red when he sees you and I loving things of this world but ignoring him. God colors red when people in this world try and worship an inanimate object. This is not God. God is jealous when his glory is diminished. And when we as his church fail to honor him as we should. It is like a love relationship, isn't it? Like a marriage relationship. See, God has committed himself to you and to me in like a, a covenantal marriage relationship. And what happens in a marriage, say, if one of the spouses commits adultery, then the other spouse is rightly jealous, is rightly angry. And so when we as human beings live in this world and 
We love the things of this world and we flirt with the things of this world. He's rightly jealous because something has replaced him in his rightful place. God, who are you? He says, I am the Lord. I am almighty. I am holy. I am jealous. And then he says, I am with you. I'm Emmanuel. See, this, this, this blows your mind that the, the eternal, transcendent, majestic, spectacular, holy, jealous God who is completely other, completely unlike us, he decides to become one of us. The Word became flesh. The Word that was there at the beginning, the Word who created all things, he took on flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We've seen his glory in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus stepped into this world 2,000 years ago, God wasn't just speaking to us, he was now walking amongst us. And at his birth, the angel gave two names to that child. One was Jesus. We know that name, don't we? But the other name was Emmanuel. We call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And what God is saying there is that I'm not distant. I'm near. I'm not absent. I'm present. I hear your prayers. I'm near the brokenhearted. I never leave you. I carry you. I care for you. I calm your fears. I comfort you. I help you. And I heal you. One of the things that strikes me about the ministry to the aged care that we do to James Wilson and to Lansdowne Gardens, when you walk into a, a retirement village, when people are nearing death, they all have got the one basic need. The thing they really, really want is just somebody to be sitting there with them. They just don't want to be alone. Just somebody to listen, someone to talk to, someone to hold their hand. And God says, I'm Emmanuel, I'm with you. I'm with you to provide, I give you your daily bread. I'm with you to protect you like a father protecting his children. I'm with you to guide you and to direct you, to comfort and to care for you. And Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake me. The thing I love about God's presence with us is that we don't need to book an appointment to have a conversation with God. You don't need to take your, your place in a queue to get his attention. His eyes are on you and he cares for you. And lots of other things I could say is this question, dear God, who are you? I could say, God, you are all-knowing. You know everything. I could say, God, you are all truthful. Uh, you cannot lie. I could say, God, you are all wise. I could say, God, you are all just or all sovereign or all good. All those truths about God, it's a massive, massive question. But let me leave you with this one truth. Dear God, who are you? And God says, I am love. I am loving. That's my nature. At 1 John 4, God is love. God is the essence of love, the definition of love. This is how God showed his love amongst us. 2,000 years ago, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Uh, this is love, not that we loved God. But God loved us deeply, sacrificially, selflessly, extravagantly. He loved us and he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the one who would atone for our sins, who would turn away the Father's wrath, who would sacrifice himself on our behalf. That is love. 
the greatest love of history. That God steps into our world, takes on flesh. His name is Jesus. And he says, I will save my people from their sins. And that same Jesus walks an old wooden cross. And on that cross, he gives himself. And on that cross, Jesus is shouting to you and to me, this is how much I love you. So I keep meeting people who think that God hates them. What more does God have to do to show you he loves you when he's done all by sending his son to the cross? Dear God, who are you? I am Yahweh, I'm the all-powerful one, I'm holy, I'm jealous, I'm present, and I am love. But let me end with this question to you. We can sit here and say, God, who are you? And God says to each one of us, this is who I am, but let me ask you a question. Do you believe in me? Do you trust me? Now, I want you to come to me. I've invited you to come to me. Will you come to me? Will you trust that I am that almighty, all-loving, all-powerful God? Will you, will you actually give your life to me? Will you follow me? Will you obey me? Will you actually lay down your life for me? See, who are we to sit here saying, God, who are you? God actually says to us, who are you? You're just a human being. You're just one of my creatures. But you are precious to me. You are valuable to me. That's why I've laid down my life for you. So will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you come to me? And that's my challenge to you this afternoon. Have you done that? Have you come, believed in, trusted, and followed the God who is the Lord, the mighty one, the holy, jealous, present, loving God? If you've got questions, there's a course that we run called Christianity Explored. You can come and listen You can come and ask any question that you want. But the most important thing is that you find out who is God? Who is God really? Let me pray. Father, we are so thankful that you have revealed yourself to us, that you have shown yourself to be our eternal self-sufficient all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, jealous, holy God. Father, we're so sorry for the times when we have had such a shallow or limited view of who you are. Expand our understanding. Expand our uh, knowing of you. Father, we want to trust you more. We want to love you more. And we want to follow you more closely. And we ask that for Jesus' sake.